Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We are talking about, uh, well, we're going to talk about the Browns. The Buckeyes just finished their opener in Minnesota, a game that I think Ohio State was set up to to lose, a trap game. You know, those those games that Ohio State plays when it's when it's uh, those middling uh, teams on the road in primetime, the Purdue's, the Iowa's, they, they struggle with those games. I thought this was a trap game. Not that I'm a huge Ohio State fan. I just follow from afar, didn't go there. But I always try to pay attention, and this game was fascinating to me. So we'll talk for a quick minute about that uh, with our guest here in just a little bit. Today we found out that the Browns are expanding their practice squad. They have brought on a couple pieces. Uh, Cornerback Tim Harris, he's a second-year player. He was drafted by the 49ers in the sixth round originally in 2019. Did not make the team, was a practice squad player who was actually on injured reserve. And then on 2020... um, uh, was on the practice squad before appearing in two games in 2020. So he's a cornerback a cornerback depth piece. They went out and finally were able to get David Moore, 6'2", 320-pound undrafted rookie that signed with Carolina out of Grambling State, a guy myself and Stephen Thomas liked in the process. I watched a little bit of he He finally played in the third preseason game. I liked a little bit of what I saw. I think he's a nice practice squad player. So I'm, I'm excited about that and the pairing with Bill Callahan. Uh, I'll write up all three of these guys one of them is a kicker we're going to talk about in just a second. Uh, so uh, Moore redshirted in 2016, nine games in 2017. Uh, he started 15 games and left at left guard for the Tigers, Grambling State, 2018-2019, before 2020 was canceled due to COVID-19, so he didn't get to play in that. He was awarded the Senior Bowl's top offensive lineman for the American team, so that means something. I think a lot of people were excited about him. There's just some uh, some issues with some of his pass blocking reps that I have noticed have been a problem is the reason I would presume is the reason he's been let go by a couple teams because that is where he has struggled I'll try to highlight those but again a young developmental offensive lineman the Browns also signed Jordan Steckler Steckler 6'5 305 first year player who was originally with the Saints as an undrafted free agent in 2020 he's from northern Illinois he spent 2020 offseason with the Saints later served time with the Patriots practice squad for the second half of the season weeks 8 through 17 and was with the Texans in the preseason before they decided to let him go and not bring him back. Some decent grades from Pro Football Focus. I was watching his uh, preseason preseason efforts, had a lot of snaps in Week 1 and Week 3. So again, I'll write those three guys up, have a little film clips on them uh, for you OBR subscribers. They also brought in Kicker with a controversial name. Okay, His name's Chris Nagar. Okay, We looked that up. That's SMU official where he went to school. He's on the practice squad. He actually was a guy that the reason the Jets let go of Chase McLaughlin was to to give Nagar a chance to make the roster. Flip side, now McLaughlin's made the Browns roster. Nagar has come on to be a part of the practice squad in Cleveland. It's gone full circle. So those are your changes for now. Uh, and, and Nagar has a video on, on YouTube of like a 68-yard kick, something stupid. Uh, not Not like a kickoff, like... Stepping back the two, the three and two that kickers do, and I don't know, maybe he was in the middle of a hurricane or something, but the weather looked pretty nice, and he he made it. And my, my depth perception could be wrong, but appears to be a guy with a powerful leg. 
We'll see if he actually challenges for kicking time, but it is nice to know there is another kicker on the roster as the Browns enter 2021 with a new kicker once again. So, again, more to come on those guys. Going to welcome in our guest, John Colosimo, friend of the podcast, the OG, nothing but the dogs, also writing for Browns Digest, doing some great Baker Mayfield content. Seems like we only talk about uh, Baker, John, but we got to talk about him. But before we do, quick impressions. Most of the people listening to this are Ohio State fans. The thing to talk about with Ohio State is these two wide receivers, Olave, Donovan Wilson, or, or we could call him Garrett. His older brother's Donovan. He's from the Columbus area. Went to Georgia Tech. Heck of a running back. Got that name wrong. My bad. Garrett Wilson. Which of these two guys do you prefer? Uh, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of them both. But for me personally, it's – and thank you for that introduction. But <clears throat> I'm, I'm a Garrett Wilson fan. Um, I think that he caught my eye like – very few uh, Ohio State receivers ever have as a freshman. Um, he got out of me probably one of the hotter takes you'll ever see me put on Twitter when I thought as a freshman he might be the best pro OSU receiver since uh, Chris Carter. Um, he, I think he's, I think he's fantastic. I think he's got a ton of upside. He definitely, since uh, you know, he hasn't necessarily gotten just. Um, into superstar status from freshman year to this year. But um, I think there's no doubt when you're talking about these two guys, you're talking about, uh, you know, potential first round wide receivers, potential top half of the first round wide receivers, which is tough to do, you know, in today's NFL and because wide receiver classes these days have been so deep and, uh, and that, but yeah, Garrett Wilson's my guy. I think he's got the, uh, the higher upside, and I just I like this. I like the hands, even though he, he has some drops. Um, you know, I think he makes the big plays, and and that would be the guy that I would pick if I was on the clock and both were available. I just hope one of them's there. It's no doubt that the Browns are going to entertain at least, at least mildly. I mean, I don't know what will happen with the contracts of the two frontline guys, the LSU boys at the top of the roster, at the position, but. I think we entertain the idea of Rashad Bateman pretty seriously at the end of the first round this year. And if one of these two fellas is sitting there, I'm interested too, man. Alave's the guy with the baseball background, tracks the football so well, very smooth. Like him a lot. I think Wilson, like you mentioned, uh, I like Wilson a little bit more too. I think he's got more athletic upside. He's going to test a little bit better. I always go back, speaking of his freshman year, John, I go back to that catch in the Clemson game which was the Orange Bowl, I believe. Uh, so not the most recent Clemson game at the Sugar Bowl, but the one before that, they lost on that last second field throw. He went up on the right sideline, looked like he jumped about 50, 50 inches in the air to go up and make a catch over the Clemson corner. I can't remember. That might even have been Trayvon Mullen. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember that. It might, it might have been A.J. Terrell, actually. I can't, I can't remember who it was either. But I just that, that play always stands out in my head to just see what his testing numbers are going to look like. And I know when Fields threw last year at his pro day, all those NFL scouts are like, these two guys are ridiculous, and they're going to be really good NFL players. I don't know. I don't know who the comps are right now. Need to see more film from this year. It'll be nice that they get a full season sample size. That part will be great. But man, C.J. Stroud just distribute the ball, young man. Between this Travion Henderson and you know Rucker, and you got you got you got all these guys, man. It's a wild talent, uh, talented offense. They could have run. Felt like they could have run for 300 yards tonight, but sometimes you got to get these quarterbacks ready, and that's a situation where it's not it's not San Jose State, man. It's not UL Lafayette. You're playing there. It's uh, that's a real team. I mean, they're not they're not a team that's going to compete for what Ohio State's competing for, but that's a tough ask of a 19 year old in his first start to go into Minnesota prime time. Everybody in the country's watching. I thought he's okay, missed some throws, but you know we'll leave that conversation aside. I want to talk about another quarterback, our guy, 
Baker Mayfield, <laughs> who everybody loves and says the nicest things about, man. <laughs> Jesus. Let's talk about his performance. Six of 10, 100 and some, yeah, 104 yards, a touchdown. What do you think of his uh, preseason efforts? Uh, you know, I think he, uh, it was nice to see. I was a little nervous, you know, given that, you know, they hadn't spent a lot of time together and, you know, we we're going to have Nick Harris out there uh, at center. And those types of things. So uh, I thought he was uh, just a tiny bit rusty on that first drive. Uh, you know, those couple batted balls. Um, you know, I think it's it's so easy for uh, people who maybe don't know better to immediately relate that to his height. Uh, you know, nobody had more batted balls than you know what? Who is it? Brock, Brock Osweiler was ridiculous mm, with that mm -hmm. if i remember correctly so mike and lennon he, you know, would do some struggles too and he was like six seven still floating around it, the league. right and i know i've heard you say this it's about the eyes you know it's about what you're doing with your eyes it's about uh, those types of things and that's where i'm saying he was a little rusty on that and i think that's uh, perfectly correctable but i think that that's what you know stubbed up his uh, overall grade for the day and that first drive but uh you know, overall, I mean, I thought he was sharp, you know, outside of those couple of uh, batted balls, I thought he was really sharp and, you know, none sharper than that, uh, that naked boot out to, um, you know, the throw out to our, our boy out in uh, Detroit now, you know, which uh, back uh, with Dorsey. <laughs> but I mean, is it, man? Poor yeah, guy. I mean, and he played his heart out, and uh, you know, people liked him, and he had a lot of uh, potential. And I think he's going to do really well in Detroit. I mean, he's going to get a ton of targets. I mean, shoot, I mean, he went from let's be real, you know, he went from being a sixth receiver here or you know a fifth to you know a place where he might get you know. 50 60 70 maybe more I, I might be underselling it the amount of targets that he's going to get this is the best thing for his career is to get out there in detroit even you know given how bad detroit's going to be this is a place where he's got a chance to earn some real money on his next deal because i'm sure this is a one-year deal so i'm happy for him but that play was fantastic i think on on every end of this thing you know baker rolls out he's got a free rusher i think who takes a pretty good angle toward him mm -hmm. um and Baker doesn't have much of a window to get around him. And he's not Patrick Mahomes where like he can just go shortstop on this thing, but he does uh, modify his angle, gets off a throw and about the only window he can um, and uh, lays it right in the bucket, you know, not an easy catch, you know, for sure. But um, I mean, it just like gives you a sense that Baker, you know, maybe is like we talked about last time we we're on the pod, going to start where he picked, you know, where he ended last year. That's what it looked like to me. And I was really glad just that one throw, like, let me know. Okay. You know, you're ready for the season. So uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the, um, the batted ball stuff ties into, like you said, you know, the eyes ties into that stuff, but that's a, a, a sync, a, everybody being in sync type of thing. You know, if your offensive line knows it's a one step quick throw concept, they have to keep arms down. One of them, the uh, Falcons ran a loop tech stunt and nobody could get to the guy kind of squatting in the window. So when that sort of stuff happens, if Baker, as the game, I think, continues to slow down for him, you would like to see him change some arm angles there, right? Like to wrap it around like that's kind of what Pat does and what some of these others do is change the arm angle to throw around some of those guys. 
mm-hmm. but yeah, for the most part, you know, people will say he's got to look. You can't on quick throw stuff. You can't look it off. You can't you can't manipulate with your eyes. You know, like it's just it's not a thing. You have to have your eyes where they need to go right now. If it's a if it's a now throw, a punch rock throw th- execution, you can't be looking right and then just blindly jump back left and throw. It's not a thing. So. It is it is working around defenders, finding passing windows. It is changing arm angles, and it's your offensive line if they're engaged, uh, keeping the opponent's uh, arms down as best they can. But sometimes balls just get knocked down. There is no concrete data that it is because he is six foot one that he can't get uh, he can't get a ball thrown over somebody. You know, it's not a thing. It's a silly. Notion. How about how about maybe a pump fake there? You know, instead of maybe uh, looking them off. You it's know, a, I'd like to a, see him work a little bit of that in. It's what, yeah, you got it. I mean, there's, there's windows to it too. So if it's zone, you can pump fake the first window, throw the second window. It's all obviously dependent on, uh, on, on, on the throw type and when the ball needs to be out. Like, you know, you can't pump fake if there's somebody squatting and you're trying to beat the squatting hook defender. Uh, yeah, but you would like to see him do some of those things. And I, I really don't even recall last year him having an issue with batted balls. Like I, I never really thought no, that. So it just is a situation where Atlanta was squatting on some things. You go into the game as Atlanta knowing what's going to happen. The Browns are going to try to get the ball out of Baker's hands quick. They just want to have these quick drives. And as a defensive lineman, you know, unless it's third and eight, you know, you know, it's going to be quick throw stuff. So I might as well just kind of bull rush my hands into the lineman's chest and, throw my hands up, you know, it's just logical. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty predictable what these teams do in the preseason. They're just trying to get their quarterbacks in a little bit of a rhythm. And when you're trying to get them in a rhythm, you're going to get the ball out quick. It's going to get knocked down every now and again. So I'm not worried about it, but yeah, there's like coaching points to that whole thing, but it's, it's sometimes just, uh, what's the word capricious, right? Un, un, unexpected changes of, uh, of, of outcomes can be unexplained. So uh, yeah, I'm not worried about that. I will I will say you had a tweet again about system quarterbacks, and I, I would give you the platform here. Uh, real quick, though, r- real quick before we get to system quarterbacks, going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, John. So we're talking about system quarterbacks, right? Like how annoying that notion is. What set you off the other day? And I, and I just kind of want to hear your tangent on it. Yeah. So I think what it, I'll tell you specifically, but um, you know, just in general, it's been a long off season. Yeah. I read the, I read a ton of content, uh, you know, especially with data guys. I, I really enjoy getting into the numbers and those kind of things. I listen to all the podcasts. I read all the content and, over the course of a long off season, you will 
hear these things, you know, repeated over and over. And I think it was, uh, um, I think it was Sam, um, I think it was Sam Munson on the PFF pod that, you know, it was talking about the Browns again. And ultimately these, these things end up cornering on Mayfield ultimately. And it was, you know, he does this well, he does this well, you know, and it's usually numbers, you know what I mean? Like that, the, he grades really well with uh, PFF, definitely, you know, certainly the last 12 games of last year, things like that. But then, uh, and, and I felt a lot of articles and a lot of pods in the same way, it ends with this thing, well, you know, he's in a, um, a very QB friendly system. And so it's just like this, everything before the butt, you know, and that's what they do. You know, they'll, they'll talk about how good Baker was at the end of last season. And, and I don't want to even say the end, like I said, the last 12 games, you're talking about a, a pretty decent sample size here. And then you'll get to the end of that. And then they'll just put their finger on the scale and say this thing, like he's at a QB friendly system. And to me, like it's very frustrating to listen to a guy quote a whole bunch of data and then throw this statement out there and then, you know, use that to qualify everything they said before that to, you know, this, um, you know, this downgraded state where they basically are saying that, you know, the, uh, the design of the offense or his teammates or whoever like that is, uh, the one who should get the credit for Baker's increased play because, you know, oh, they use play action or they, you know, run this wide zone, uh, you know, West Coast scheme. And so that that's what's frustrating to me is because there's no quantification of that. There's no like numbers for that. They just toss that out there as this, you know, general comment. And then they decide to put whatever weight they want to that to uh, to bring Baker down to whatever level they, you know, feel like doing it as part of that conversation. So. Um, I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. And again, that goes right back to the system quarterback. It's the same, the same comments, the same, um, you know, narrative. Uh, so eventually I just popped off on Twitter and I'm just like, you know, you know, that's not, you know, nobody has tried to quantify that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, what, if, if, if he's in a QB friendly system, if you're telling me that, you just install this system and you make uh, a player play like an elite quarterback for 12 games, then, you know, who needs, uh, you know, who needs to pay a decent amount for a quarterback? You just put anybody in there, you know, and that's, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, deductive reasoning that, that goes into that. So, you know, what is a, what is a, what is a system that is a not, quarterback friendly system who's stupid running system that? it's a stupid system right, right. Like, tell me who's out there doing it case i mean yeah <laughs> I, I don't know it's like i it, i heard a stat john the other day that uh, about kyle shanahan who i think is the most gifted play caller in the nfl you know i think sean McVay is a smart dude but i think kyle schemes like nobody else and the stat was when he didn't have either Jimmy Garoppolo or or there was like a no, a metric they used for a certain level of quarterback and his his overall win loss when he didn't have one of these two quarterbacks and it's it's ticking me off because right now I can't remember who it was. Um, it wasn't Mullins. It was probably Matt Ryan. I mean, he was an mm, OC as a okay. head as yeah, a head sure. coach 
as a head coach, I think it was probably just Jimmy G alone, like uh, because that's the way you can quantify. It. Because not that Jimmy Garoppolo we think is great or anything, but just just by virtue of who else he's dealt with, uh, which we could go through Bethard and Mullins and all those guys. But like, you know, the the argument is just funny because even the most gifted guys need good quarterbacks, right? Like, if San Francisco believed they could plug and play anybody, even Jimmy Garoppolo, why are they spending a pick on Trey Lance? Why are they not trading Three down and, and gathering? Yeah, why are they not gathering picks to to just draft other positions? It's the silliest notion. There are tiers to this whole thing. You know, the Baker throw is a great example, and I and I hate it. I hate it when people say that. Well, if Pat Mahomes made this throw, it'd be all over the coverage, right? Like it'd be everywhere. Well, the throw Baker made is one of the most challenging throws to make in football. When you're rolling to your left, you got to flip the front hip, throw it at a perfect launch angle over the top of a guy, you know, bearing weight down on top of you, pressuring you from that outside perspective. You have to fade away. You have to put it in a bucket. You know, your momentum's carrying you away from the throw anyway, so it's it's easy to just let it drift left. And he, he puts it right where it's supposed to be, and that's like there are levels to this thing. Now, I know that not every quarterback is built the same on third and 12. Like, that's the challenge, right, John? Like, what can your quarterback do on third and 12? Most quarterbacks can find some schemed up answers for the most part on first and 10, second and five, whatever. But what can you do on third and 12? That met, that doesn't miss me. But there are still levels to where these guys operate in these systems that people deem quarterback friendly. And I had to say to your tweet, I had to say, like, it's almost like if you play in a West Coast system, uh, a wide zone system, we should call it wide zone. There's some West Coast concepts, but it's, it's predicated on the Shanahan, uh, which which Shanahan morphed it to Kubiak and Kubiak, and it's spread. It's everywhere. McVay, all of them, sure, uh, mm-hmm. all the way to Arthur Smith now, and 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 we just saw in Atlanta. But it's like you're selling your quarterback soul, you know. So it's like you 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 agree to play in this offense, you'll find success. You'll uh, you'll you know perhaps your stats will jump up, perhaps it'll extend your quarterback career. Whatever, whatever. But you're never going to get respect, and no one's ever going to take you seriously, and they're always going to give credit to other people. But come on in. You can play this system. See what it's like. Water's warm. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying there? Like, that's okay. what's going on. You can't be taken seriously. The only guy I've seen taken seriously is Aaron Rodgers, because Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers before uh, LaFleur went there, and he took that concept with him so but isn't that you know isn't that doesn't that become sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where you know like say uh, you know a quarterback has uh, you know i know aaron Rodgers is a little bit of a um a corner case because he had the ups and downs there um and he succeeded in a couple different systems but generally speaking a lot of these quarterbacks they succeed not necessarily like first year but right off the bat enough to stay with a similar system and or coordinator and or coach. Um, and so you don't often have the evidence for what happens in a different style, you know, like these great quarterbacks often, you know, like when you get a Brady, you get a Peyton Manning and those kind of things. Like, I think that there's a certain respect where, where these guys hit it off the bat or, or end up in these systems. And then they're there for a very long time. And you just don't even have evidence of them, in other systems or, or those types of things. So I, I feel like it's kind of like the snake eating its tail. Um, sometimes when 
people try to make those points about these systems. Like, you know, to me, it's more about competent coaching because even, even if you take these systems, they're not always, you know, um, um, translatable to everybody. You still have to be a competent play caller within the system uh, to give your quarterback opportunities to, uh, to make these plays. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but like, that's, that's how it feels to me. I, I don't know that there's the evidence for some of these guys, not because um, they couldn't do it or something like that, but they hit it off with the right coach, you know, at the beginning of their career and they didn't have to, you know, deal with say what Baker Mayfield has done where now they're trying to, obviously, you know, you're comparing what Nair Coriel Basically, I think both those years were Eric Coriel, right? Um, under Freddie and Munkin and and Hugh and Haley, were those both Eric Coriels? Essentially, yeah, yeah. With, you I know, mean, they all they all kind of like a, everybody. Stefanski says everyone's running the same stuff for the most part. Even teams that aren't wide zone predicated are running. They're running versions of it. Even the Browns used and there to run was, it with Freddie. With the, they'd run it from the gun. You know, they'd run wide zone more than you think they did. But go ahead. Did you see that tweet? Yeah, about that. Like I saw that. Uh, I think it was this morning. There was a um, somebody had posted something about the effectiveness of play action off wide zone, and uh, they had like the frequency that you run it and the effectiveness of play action, and they had uh, 2019 and 2020. And the Browns were in a tight grouping as far as the frequency that they ran wide zone and the effectiveness of, uh, the, effectiveness of the play action off of it in 2019 and 2020. And I thought like that was a hell of a point. I wish I would have had that for my article um, when I was breaking down uh, Baker's numbers because we obviously know what happened in 2019. And we know what happened in 2020. And it was wild to me to watch them like, you know, in those two, you know, particular things see them in a tight grouping because we know the results of the team were very different even though they seemingly like you just said they ran wide zone quite a bit under freddie kitchens and you know they ran effective play action off of it but that didn't equal baker uh, having a great year he had his worst year so I, i don't think that's it that's what you're talking about coaching like I think I remember putting out tweets about how poorly they executed play action from a deception standpoint. You know, whether it was run action, you know, run action like pulling the guard, you know, slicing the guard or slicing a tight end, and that's more like making it look like run. Or if it was true play action where you're, you know, where it's like a, a pass set. You know, you're still doing the backfield play action stuff where you're, you're faking to a running back, but your offensive line is essentially pass setting. I didn't think their attention to detail was very good at all. I thought it was terrible. I even I, I even posted, if I recall, I posted some Vikings clips about like this is the attention to detail you need to sell play action. So yeah, they ran a ton of wide zone in 2019, but they were so sloppy. Baker especially was so sloppy in play action, lo- the look of it and the run action stuff that it didn't fool people, and it was just like window dressing for wanting to throw the ball downfield. There was no. There was no understanding of Baker. This is why you need to be patient with it. Here is why you need to sell it. Because when you sell it, the hook defender does this. Or when you sell it in quarters coverage, this is where you can bang the skinny post. Like they don't. He didn't understand that, and that's where there's levels to the coaching, just like there's levels to the to the quarterback play. So, you know, that's the perfect example of a guy just running wide zone just to run it. And they were good at running the football. You know, Nick. Nick obviously handled it pretty well, as I think Nick had handled just about any scheme pretty well. But uh, 
but the stuff that came off of it to to be used as an advantage was not being used as an advantage. So that's a great right. Point. Where's your counters? Where's your counters off those plays? That's yeah. the whole point of doing it. Yep. If you don't if you if you don't run your counters off those plays, I mean, um, you know, Stefanski won't give you much. Uh, you know, he's so dry, and I love him for it um, in these interviews. <laughs> but um, you can catch good interviews of Shanahan talking about how he uh, sets up his counters off these. And, uh, you know, I'll see if I can dig one of these up uh, and maybe uh, throw one into when you post this pod. Uh, But there's some good interviews of Shanahan talking about how, you know, everything he's doing, he's doing for a purpose. You don't just call the play. You're calling that play to set up your next play. You know, those those are the types of things that are happening. And he does a pretty good job in a couple of interviews of, of kind of explaining it. And and that's your real difference between the chaos that was Freddie Kitchens calling plays after game planning all week for an entirely different, you know, approach to the game. And, um, you know, and Stefanski, who understands those types of things, uh, doing those types of setups and understanding how to break your tendencies and and whatever else. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say that's something that that, uh, that Kevin's tried to pride himself on. There's a the famous thing he keeps dropping about what Harrison Smith said about this stuff is hard man you guys make it all look you make it all look the same and and that's the point is to make every single thing you do look like something else and if that's the case your mind is always confused now does that mean you can plug any quarterback in though and it just works no because you are going to find yourself in hard to decipher situations like or, or hard to convert situations and you need guys that can make those throws and I think Baker's a good mixture of a guy who's really good at those play-action concepts because you, A, have to be really good at them, and a guy who is maturing to the point that he's getting better at those you know, those, those third and eight pluses where he can handle converting some of those, which they were pretty good on third down last year. And that's in large part due to Baker, who, who started to really handle them uh, really well toward the end of the year as as everything took off in the passing game. So... Yeah, that's what you want. The best quarterbacks in this system are guys who are really good at play action. That's the baseline. Figure out the play action. Be really, really good at it. Then when we get ourselves in situations that are going to be true pass sets, right? Not a screen, not a 2.5 or under throw, like true pass sets, downfield throws necessary. We'll get you ready to, for, for those. We'll do it together. And that's where you see long, successful careers. Because you can convert those early downs, you can help them convert the early downs, but you're not play action passing on third and twelve. You're not. There's no help you can give them. You have to decipher the defense and you have to make a play, right? Like that's the that's on the quarterback, and really, that's where quarterbacks make the big money. And I think Baker has made strides there. And you add that, if he can keep getting even more and more competent in that department, you add it to the play action passer success, which is the thing that makes him good about with play action. Man, is he's mobile enough. He com- he's now committed to the play-action elements. He's got a great arm for downfield passing. Like, it's all there, man. So that's what you want. You know, when you look back at the end of the year, I want to look back with you, John, and I'm sure we'll touch base on this, is how did he perform in the predictable pass situations? And that's a stat that Pro Football Focus chases. They they do no play-action, right? Like, long down and distances. They give a grade specifically for how a quarterback performed in those. So... We'll check back on that. Another thing that came up was this, like, this nonsensical thing that I, I guess it's. I think that what this woke me up to, John, was every fan base believes in their guy. They just all do, and that was this. Somebody was talking about 
Kirk Cousins' first 45 starts against Baker Mayfield's first 45 starts is a means to justify Kirk as a better quarterback, which to me, Grant, he, he did not really start more than, I think, seven or eight games. Kirk's first three years, granted, his his first two years of his career, I think he I think it took six years to hit 45 starts, if I recall, John. I think that's right. That's correct. That's his correct. first three years, obviously, he didn't play much his first year. That was the Robert Griffin rookie year because they were both drafted in the same year. Uh, he played like three starts his second year, and then he started like seven or eight third year. Then he started uh, bang, bang, bang. His first two years were with Shanahan. We think that guy's okay. <laughs> the next three years are with McVay. I think that guy's okay. And then I think Matt Cavanaugh took over for the final year before he left for Minnesota. But he, the, I read a couple articles on the fact they kept everything the same. They They used the same offense, essentially. So it's just the funniest thing. Like you're comparing a 29 year old to a 25 year old. You're comparing a guy who started his NFL career. And I know he had to overcome a couple things like RG three's starting breakout and getting his real opportunity, but he was getting coached by the two sharpest minds in the NFL. And he was handpicked. He was handpicked by Shanahan. Don't forget that part. No, man. It's wild. People forget this stuff, man. It's just like, what? Not only the, the the delusional part of the 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 age difference and the comfortability in the NFL, the the weight of a franchise and all of that stuff. You know, Kirk Cousins was always the hero. When Robert Griffin failed, Kirk was the hero, man. Like the pressure on Kirk Cousins to be good was never real. You know, like it was no, just like a, okay, this might work out kind it's of thing. Bonus, yeah, House just money. it's just like you you don't. Th- I, I I would every single GM in the NFL would take Baker Mayfield over Kirk Cousins, but there's these Vikings people who are like. Look at these stats, man. This is what I'm telling you. These first 45 were better. And then it's like, well, I could even go the most recent. Yeah, because the Vikings outside of the one year Kevin Stefanski was your OC in 19, uh, they they were behind all the time. They were chasing the <laughs> scoreboard all the time. So, of course, he's going to throw for 600 more yards throughout a season. Like, And I like Kirk. I really genuinely do. He's a prime example of a guy who gets screwed over by the argument we're talking about. You know? You know, like him and Tannehill – and uh, who else am I forgetting yep. off the top of my off the top of my head? I I can't think of anyone uh, else. A car maybe. Yeah, car a little, had a a little good bit year last year. Yeah, like those not guys who. Offense, it, no, not not totally the same, but it's just guys like I I kind of go back to Tanny, and I kind of go back to, um, you know, uh, uh, who else was who was I just saying? Tannehill and and Kirk. Yeah, like those guys stand yeah. out to me. And it's just funny too to think of what year did Matt Ryan win the MVP? Eighteen. Who was the off- offensive coordinator? <laughs> Shanny. It was Shanahan. It's just the the NFL has turned into this weird yeah. mosh pit of quarterback discussion. I don't. Yeah. I really don't understand it, man. Well, you know, and and you know, just to add a little bit to that, the last thirty two starts. If you're going to like talk about like the last forty five for Kirk, you know, his his top two wide receivers were Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, and then um, you know uh, Justin Jefferson. And Adam Phil, you know, so it's just, you know, those, those are some pretty nice wide receivers to be thrown to. I know he didn't have the benefits of the offensive line that Baker had this specific year, but uh, receivers matter. You know, I, I made this point also, I think it, it, it kind of got glossed over on Twitter, but, you know, the Browns just in an overall, you know, grading standpoint, you know, have been very, very good at pass blocking since Joe Thomas was drafted. 
the whole time. They have also been near the bottom of the league, the bottom third, um, almost every single year um, in wide receiver grade. You know, so I think that, uh, you know, when you talk about the jersey, the infamous jersey, half of the people on that infamous jersey had excellent pass blocking by an NFL standard, relatively. <laughs> you know, so I think it gets a little bit overrated um, in respect to, you know, you got to have both. You know, you it's not that pass blocking doesn't matter, um, but uh, without the receiving help and without the quarterback talent, it, you know, it's not going to turn a uh, – not going to turn you from a pumpkin to a princess. All right. You know, so I, I just think that uh, people should keep that in mind. You know, they, they worry about keeping together like the, the, you know, the best offensive line in football or people use this offensive line to detract from Baker Mayfield's thing. Well, PFF will tell you that, you know, uh, it's a weakest link system. You know, it matters a lot more um, whether you have one weekly, you can have, you know, four great offensive linemen. And if you've got one, you know, turnstile, it's a weakest link system, you know, you'll do better with five average pass blocking offensive linemen than you're going to do with, you know, three great ones, one average one and one turnstile. And the difference between having five average linemen um, and having, you know, like what the Browns had last year, which is, you know, several above average, a couple elite, and one very good, you know, offensive lineman, you know, the benefits don't, they don't scale, you know what I mean? So like the difference between, you know, somebody who had five very good, solid offensive starters, you don't get this gigantic benefit than increasing them to, you know, four elite ones. It, it doesn't scale like that. You know, it's much more um, tailored toward, like I said, weakest link, and you're you're much more in trouble having you know five just below average guys um, than you are getting the benefit of having five elite guys. So I don't know if I explained that very well, but that's just um, you know it's just a point that I would say that uh, it matters, and you know Josh Allen will tell you that it matters when you have Stephon Diggs to his you know his room with a competent offensive coordinator. So. It all does, Just man. A couple of things. It all yeah. does. It all adds up, and that's why, that's why the Browns deserve credit for figuring out that equation. You know, like I figuring so. figuring out that they had to help the quarterback, and this is the right way to do it. And I said this on a podcast I visited recently, which is, you know, you keep helping Baker, you keep getting his mind comfortable behind a good offensive line. You keep giving him weapons to make plays. You give him a good run game. And then down the line, when Nick is done four years from now or whatever the route may be, or they can't re-sign Wyatt and Joel retires and Jack Conklin moves on and they're replacing all these people, that's when you need him to be the best version of himself as a seven, eight-year veteran instead of a guy who's carrying them right away. And that's the patience part of the NFL that I hate. It's a part of that was here in the mid two thousands, but has has it has left. You know, it would be so easy to give up on Ben Roethlisberger. People don't understand. There was genuine debate about Ben being able to carry the team in his second contract. There was discussion about not <laughs> yeah. having him stick around. Drew Brees was run out of of, LA, of of San Diego. Like they wanted to, and I know the injury happened, but they if they loved him, loved him, they would heal him up, bring him back. They ran him out. They replaced him. Like they they. But didn't, you know the reason for that though, right? Like just, I, I don't mean to like break you off here, but just to interject this real quick, you know, the reason for that. And it's funny because it's like, 
it's this is like the double-edged sword right the reason people used to be so patient with these guys is because when you drafted a quarterback number one you had to sign to like 60 million dollar contract and yeah you you were you know what i mean like so it almost financially forced you to give these guys the amount of time and so while on one hand, the, the rookie wage scale has allowed you to get like a big advantage for having for striking it rich on a, a rookie quarterback on a cheap deal. On the other hand, it will make you have a quick hand and you're going to probably miss some opportunities on guys that might have developed had you given them the right amount of time. Yeah, I don't pick apart much about the NFL, but you're you're right. You're spot on. And that's something that I have said that they need to fix the quarterback payment process, whether that's paying them early, because if you pay them early, if they're a high pick for you, it makes you commit to them and give them a long-term chance. Or that means they change how much the second contract counts towards the cap. I don't like to change. I don't think there's a ton that needs to change about the NFL, but that is one thing that I would really consider that I think they're doing a disservice to quarterback development. And in a league where, you want long-term quarterbacks and staples of franchises and identification thing for fans and and league staples, like that should be a thing, man. Like it should be a real. Didn't thing you have the idea about like kind of separating their money from the rest of them? Yeah, it should, that your it should idea? count like fifty percent of the cap. Like your quarterback yeah, contract yeah. should count because what you're doing to me yeah. is you're dissuading your team from paying other good players, and no other Agreed. league does that. No other league yeah. does that. And I could be wrong. Someone could get in the mentions and yell at me, but like the NBA pays people. They they go out of their way to pay people. They pay the stars and that and I know that it's it sometimes takes away a little bit of money from other people, but you know, if if the if the Brooklyn Nets want to sign Kyrie, they go sign it. There's no doubt. Like the the Browns even having to question signing Nick Chubb to me is the sign of like a flawed system. There should never be that question, right? I think that like the NBA does the bird right stuff and the fact that you can go over the cap to keep your guys who want to stay around, that should be a thing. And I know the franchise tag is there meant to help keep guys in places and all of that. And I get it, but you but know, that's you not should doing be... what you're saying. Though. No, it's I not. Thought you made a really good point. Yeah. I, 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 I thought I definitely... you made a really good point on this. I, I think the bird rights thing that the, the, the real thing of like, if a guy's been with the franchise long enough, you can go over the cap to keep them. You know, if a guy wants to be in your franchise, you should be able to go over the cap to keep them. Now, going out and signing a bunch of guys, you can't go, you can't do that. But if a guy wants Agreed. to stay in house, you should be able to go over the cap to keep them. So that's just my opinion, and I think the way quarterbacks are being paid these second contracts is a, is a a disservice to the patience of of quarterback play, and b it makes you start, and this is a trend I've just noticed, is that it makes you start questioning everybody you're paying on your team, and it's like the Jamal Adams contract. Like it should be a unanimous. That's awesome. Great deal. Got a good player to stick around for a long time. No, it's like, well, this guy doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And he doesn't deserve. <laughs> He's a good football player. Like, shut up, man. He's a good football player who you should want to pay your good football players to stick around. And it's just like, you got the, the NFL is such a short shelf life and they have franchises who are actively trying out, trying to figure out who to not pay, you know? And that's just a weird, it's a weird dynamic. And I think all of it, is at the top of the pyramid is the way that quarterback structure has to go. And when you're in limbo about your quarterback, about if you're going to pay him or not and the decisions that kind of surround it. So I don't know. It's, a, it's, it's just something I would like to try to see them address. I don't know if they will. Maybe they love the way you have to be creative now and you have to, you have to prioritize positions and so on and so forth. Maybe they like that. Maybe they think the competitive balance is really 
is really sound because of that. I don't know that it is. I know that it's just like is is really a thing that is actively keeping teams away from paying, you know, paying paying other players on the roster. And I also don't think like it's the hardest thing to find and develop a really good quarterback. So what do we do? We punish them by paying them the most money and they eat up all your cap space. <laughs> It's like, yeah. what? That's so weird to me. It's so I weird. I don't know. Anyway, man, this is a good conversation, John. I appreciate you, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me on, Drake. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As usual, John is a once-a-week guy for us. The The day will fluctuate Thursday, Friday, something like that. But uh, in our in our window here late in the week where we have a guest on for some outside conversation so you don't just hear me blabbering every single day of the week, John will come in and we'll talk about some topic. Uh, he's really good at this stuff, so I want to make sure his voice gets heard. And you guys are awesome. Keep keep checking out these podcasts. Again, check out Brownstown, which was launched with Andre Knott. Had an episode with him a few days ago previewing it. There are two episodes that have dropped. There'll be two more next week, I think. Uh, it's it's just really great. All the sound effects and the voiceovers, and Andre's very into it. It's It's well worth your time. I posted all 22 notes from the Falcons game. That's up on the OBR website for subscribers. We will have an analytics piece out tomorrow. Like I said earlier, I will also get out information on these uh, these practice squad players the Browns added to the team over the course of the next few days as well. So everybody have a fantastic weekend. I'll get a couple pods out here over the weekend of some variety. This is the last weird week we have before the season starts, so I'll try to get something out there. We'll get back to our usual grind uh, midweek next week and then start to really look forward to the Chiefs. So we might have some more guests on to talk about where they're at. But anyway... This is a great podcast. Again, appreciate John for joining us. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the Ohio State game tonight. If you're an Ohio State fan, if you're a Minnesota fan, I apologize. If you don't care about college football, double apologize. But we had to talk about those wide receivers because I think the Browns are going to be very interested in one of those guys at some point in the next 12 uh, the next twelve months because they both fit the age parameters too. We know, you know how the Browns are all about guys 20, pretty much 22 or younger. So We'll have plenty of that stuff coming over the next few days. Appreciate you guys for joining us. Have a great day, a great Friday, and go Browns. <laughs>